Broadcasting live from Bailey Downs, this is The Monstrous Feminine, the podcast where horrible humans talk about horror. My name is Zeba, and I'm joined by my bleeding sisters, Mila and Louisa. And in this episode, we're continuing our Halloween werewolves theme and talking about the classic 2001 horror film, Ginger Snaps, directed by John Fawcett. Before we get into the film, go ahead and follow us on Spotify, YouTube, or the Apple Podcast app. You can find all of our links on our Instagram, at The Monstrous Feminine Podcast. In Ginger Snaps, two outcast sisters, Ginger and Bridget, live in a dull suburban town which is currently plagued by the Beast of Bailey Downs that is killing all the town's dogs. On the night of her first period, Ginger is attacked by the infamous creature. Bridget intervenes, and in the struggle, Bridget snaps a partial Polaroid of the animal which shows a blurry, werewolf-like creature. The two run for their lives, but luckily the beast is killed by a weed van driven by the local drug dealer, Sam. Following the night, Ginger's wounds heal rapidly, but she begins acting irrationally, becoming increasingly lustful and aggressive. Her body also begins sprouting hair and she grows a tail. Her out-of-character, emotional behavior, and physical changes are initially blamed on her period, but Bridget knows the werewolf transformation is setting in. She teams up with Sam to find a cure for Ginger's condition. Ginger's competitive jealousy and protectiveness over her sister puts a strain on their relationship, but Bridget continues to work against the clock to save her sister. So it's all normal. Very. Expected every 28 days, give or take, for the next 30 years. Ugh, great. Oh, what about um, hair that wasn't there before? And pain? Mm-hmm. Comes with the territory. Well, thank you. Let's go, B. Uh, uh, wait. You'll have to protect against both pregnancy and STDs now. Play safe. Ginger Snaps is very close to my heart. I can't explain why. I think it was just always on, like on the sci-fi channel. Ty and I were discussing like sci-fi channel marathons are like some of the most influential media I have experienced. It's the Twilight Zone marathons I used to do. And also Ginger Snaps, they would do the whole trilogy. I've seen all of them at very impressionable ages before puberty, pre-prepubescent. Like I didn't know what puberty was. I definitely didn't understand what the movie was about. Even a little bit. Oh my god. I think my what? dad was a big fan. No, he thought they were really funny. Campy. And so he would be like, ah, oh, Ginger Snaps is on. Come watch Ginger Snaps. I'd be like, Dad, I don't like Ginger Snaps because like cinema would not be named after a cookie and certainly would not be a pun for the remaining sequels. Like I knew that much, but I knew I was entertained and I liked that it was like, it was giving girl power, that early 2000s like girl power kind of thing that was really in vogue. And I was like, okay, I'll watch it because it's girls. I kind of watch it in the like same vein as I watch Heather's and Jennifer's Body. I think it just gets the horror more so. Like it, it really is pretty disturbing. Did the girls on Tumblr like this movie? They should have if they didn't. It's a watch with adult supervision kind of movie. I'm surprised you watched it so young. I think I watched it when I was like 16. I watched it when it came out. I was like five, six, seven. That definitely did some psychological damage to your expectations of puberty. <laughs> I feel left out. I feel like 16 is still young enough. I watched this like for the first time after we started the podcast. Like not for the podcast since 2020 is when I watched it. So I was a full on adult. But I will say that contrary to other things where I've watched it and I'm like, I think I missed the boat. I needed to see this in in its time. But this is like so 
you're just thrown back into the era. I was like, I have nostalgia for this film, even though I did not see it like when it came out. Um, it's just simply a masterpiece. I, <laughs> I have no critiques. It's just, well, I have some critiques, but it's um, just simply amazing. It was like just delicious horror viewing. The Monstrous Feminine is on Twitter, so please tweet us. If you do engage with our content, you might just get a shout out and our next episode is our Witch of the Week. This episode, our Witch of the Week, is Juanita Santem97, who tweeted in Spanish, but I'm going to say it in English. A great podcast of feminism and cinema and horror. I love our Twitter followers. Um, shout outs to our bilingual international followers. We love hearing from y'all, especially because it makes us feel like our reach is farther than, you know, our own little bubble. So that's lovely to hear. I think it would be nice to hear the original tweet said in Spanish by Louisa. <laughs> Louisa is fluent in Spanish. I'm not. I did one year of Spanish in eighth grade. Yep, fluent. Because they typed multiple A's, I think, for emphasis. So it was like, un gran podcast de feminismo, cine y terror. Thank you so much. Honestly, you've summed us up the best way anyone could. That is exactly what we're doing here. I'm so happy that you enjoy our podcast. Friendly reminder that we're also on Patreon. For £1 a month, you gain access to our Discord. For £3 a month, you get to hear cut discussion from our main episodes. And for £5, you get all that plus a bonus episode. Please support us. Any contribution helps. Let's discuss, in comparison to the other films, the werewolf lore in this film. I like in this one, I don't know if I like it, but in this one, well, no, I do. I like everything about this film, even the things I don't like. Let's start there. But I mean, this film is very much like the werewolf lore as synonymous with like STI and sexual anxiety. Like that's the lore here. And like in the exchanging of fluids, that to me is, yeah, interesting. An interesting creative take. And aligning it with menstruation seems like so obvious to me and i'm like kind of like why did no one else do that werewolves are usually men majority of the time men i think because it's like a really masculine kind of monster to be like it's hairy it's like uncontrollable anger it's got that hulk energy to it occasionally so like those things are really masculine but then this moon situation is like fodder for like horror women in horror that type of situation so like ginger saps was bound to exist the way it does and i am very excited to talk about good manners it seems to me like a like quite a monstrous feminine trope and yet it's always like this big hairy creature feature man and it doesn't add up to me i think that's probably why we see men dominate it because people think a that women can't be like hairy or like whatever like they see that as like a masculine thing but also that like if a werewolf is not necessarily like a fuckable object, why would we have a woman play it? Do you know what I mean? Very first episode, we were talking about Carrie and I said, I was annoyed with the very commonplace connection between women, femininity and the moon because it's normally used in a context of being like something unknowable illogical and kind of mysterious i know it does symbolically make sense with like your menstrual cycle 
it's rooting too much of womanhood to biology it's very much like women are so unknowable like what is going on inside their brain the moon is also very predictable though like it's a cycle yeah so I didn't like it in the context of Carrie that also obviously uses like menstruation as a signal of womanhood but also a monstrosity the difference in ginger snaps being that that metaphor is used as a critique of all of the like the expectations and like social constructs of girlhood and womanhood doing it in a way that you're right feels so obvious like why hasn't someone done this in more more just in general like I don't think we see it that much and maybe because people are not receptive towards the idea of girls and women being presented in that like stereotypically masculine way like I mean we don't really see her get like muscular and big because you could argue that this film completely plays into that stereotype of that transition from being a girl to a woman which I have a problem with anyway is not necessarily you become a fucking woman when you start your period but that that is something inherently monstrous because actually it is something grotesque and I'll talk about this also in good manners with pregnancy in the same way but like getting your period is something that is grotesque and horrific and an uncanny confrontation with your body and with morality like it is I'm not giving Freud too much fucking credit I don't think it's necessarily within his wheelhouse but I do think that nature naturing is fucking disturbing sometimes and I don't like some of these like wellness influencers who are trying to shove it down people's throats who menstruate that like it's beautiful and you should like honor it and worship yourself because obviously it's been stigmatized but I also think that we need to recognize that natural processes the cycle of life is also pretty horrific it can be brutal I was just gonna say I agree completely I mean this film is mon femme in that obviously Barbara Creed talks about blood as like abject and women are more associated with nature because of that capacity to like give birth and bleed every month and I guess like in that way yes it is like something to make horror out of but I also completely agree that this film presents it in a way that is kind of in that tone of like yeah sometimes it is fucking horrific I think this film's quite revolutionary because I think it does a lot of like normalizing and educating almost even as it does it. Like it's like showing the stigma for sure. Like I think both Ginger and B have a stigma about their period. I have some dialogue that I wrote down. Like for example, the father says like we're eating when they start talking about it at the dinner table. And it's like shut up. Ginger says when she first starts bleeding, she just says I just got the curse. B says like oh you're really girling out here. <laughs> And like about that. So they have like some funny dialogue, which of course is talking about like the stigma of getting your period. But then there's also like quite good dialogue where Ginger's like, just so you know, the words just and cramps, they don't go together. B says it in that moment. So I think like even as she starts to experience it, she does a lot of normalizing. Also that really like camp kind of moment with the nurse where she's like, it's literally period symptoms. And I don't think I've heard like, at least from a film in that era, have I heard those symptoms be described in like a big movie, if you know what I mean. Also with accuracy. With accuracy. Like she describes like the the discharge, like the diff- the change in blood over the course of a few days. The hair. The hair. Like, of course, it's all ironic because the comedy comes from that it is describing a werewolf transformation. But it's just so funny because none of what she said was actually a lie. So in that way, I can't really like be mad that they're making a monstrosity of a period because actually they're dissecting like the monstrous elements of actually just bleeding you know it sucks to bleed every month your organs shed a lining every month they're like separating the i'm using the word objective here take it with a grain of salt the objective monstrosity of bleeding every month separating that from the cultural stigma 
and the general like way that history's painted women as monstrous in their like irrational hysterical bleeding out their vaginas every month selves and ginger says like i just got my period okay now i've got weird hair so what that means i've got hormones and they may make me ugly but they do not make me a monster can i just say i love the mom she's a good mom she's trying to give them space but also trying to guide them but also giving them their privacy but she's also like for them having sex if they want to i was like she's doing everything right and there's nothing she can do to solve the situation (laughs) but also the fact that she was ride or die. The second they committed murder, she was like, I'm burning the house down. I'm burning your father with it because he won't believe me. She's real for that. I'm surprised I haven't brought this up before, like Angela Carter's The Bloody Chamber and how like inseparable sex and violence are for female sexuality. I think she compares killing to touching herself. And I just really honestly liked how it portrayed budding sexuality as like completely insatiable because I think that is true for anyone who experiences that sexual desire at their age like i'll die if i don't get this stick basically (laughs) this is a canadian film i'm going to i'm so sorry conflate american and canadian culture for two seconds and say we've talked about the puritanical mentalities of days gone by still very much in american culture i assume it's similar in canada i don't know to be honest But I feel like the suppression of sexuality and honest conversations around sex mean that like puberty is especially confusing for any young person being like, why am I feeling these things? But especially young girls because their sexuality is just demonized so much more strongly. So I think that it's such a great way to portray it as something monstrous and something out of control because when you finally recognize those feelings or experience them, it would like manifest in a way that's totally werewolfish like no shit that's like a lot of the bloody chamber vibes all of the like eroticism and the sex is violence against women from like the male characters but also anger and guilt and shame this film does it so well like her just losing her head i'm like yeah so true bestie she fucking snaps yeah stop this film like you said really like entwines like so many different layers and nuances to like growing up and that kind of girlhood the pressures you experience at that age so one of the things that I thought was like just so on the money is like Ginger's as you're talking about her lustful kind of transformation but also how that like is entwined with like shame and and like self-worth and then coincides with like slut shaming because there's so many things going on like she has the sexualization and pressure from Jason even before this begins right and he's like nothing quite takes the edge off like a good old toke or maybe you're just too chicken to lose it and he like wants to fuck her and he's very obvious in his overtures towards her his harassment I should say I just think like how ginger goes about that is literally it's so funny to watch a werewolf film and be like yeah this was so relatable to my teen experience but it's literally so relatable to my teen experience because like the first little personal anecdote which i guess is a bit sad but the first guy that i ever kissed was a guy who had like insulted my body by being like oh you know basically cheap shot small boobs i was like okay yeah i'm like 12 but he ended up being my first kiss and it's like so funny because the same guy who kind of bullies or harasses ginger also ends up being like the first guy that she chooses to sleep with and i don't even think she's really like 
necessarily truly attracted to this man. It very much felt like an in the moment, like insatiable lust. He was simply there. Yeah, he's simply there. She has this urge as you do when you have those hormones but also because he's like created this like well it has to be this guy because he's the one who's been undermining me this whole time like now I need to like get his validation and that's how that kind of fosters that situation and then like the whole losing your virginity experience was super fucking relatable a she comes home crying but like that's because she like killed a dog but like isn't it's just like relatable in that way because of that shame that does come along with it like Obviously, she's talking about the dog situation, but I think you could easily conflate it with the first time scenario. And when she's talking about it, she describes it in like a really underwhelming way. She's like, it wasn't what I thought it would be. It was just all this squirming and squealing. And then he's done. And you're like, oh. (laughs) It's so funny. When you're a young person and they put so much, I guess like female identifying because they put so much emphasis on you like having sex and then you do it and it's not this momentous moment. And you're like, why has it been built up this momentous moment? Male pleasure is centered. And I know we shouldn't be teaching teenagers how to fuck, but we're not taught how to be intimate with each other and how to like focus on other things other than sticking your dick in and out of something. Yeah, and he like slut shames her afterwards and she goes into that. Like there's also that extra added level of shame where she's like, you know, what does she say? She's like, he's probably out there telling everyone what a freak I am. And then B says, oh, we'll say the same about him. And she just says, it doesn't work like that. I mean, he got laid. I'm just the lay. He's the hero and I'm just a lay, the freak mutant lay. She learns a lot of lessons in like a week. Goes through the whole like virgin whore dichotomy. She like embodies it. The sister dynamic with the particular age difference, so, 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 so important. My sister's much older than me. Like she was done with puberty when I was born or she was like entering puberty when I was born. That two year age difference where the younger sister is just trailing after the older one and they imply that they got their periods like later around 16. It's almost like she's looking at her sisters like, is this what's coming? Is this what comes to me next? Like they had a really, really close bond, whatever they do that weird cut your hand. They're really, you know, they're close in that way. And then all of a sudden they're not close anymore. And the sister that she knew is like completely different from what she believes to be a wolf or could be puberty or could be whatever. And that line about she's like, you are like doing drugs with boys in a van. The difference between my 14-year-old self and my 16-year-old self was doing drugs with boys in a van. This also made me think back to like, I think this would have done well on Tumblr. I'm surprised I never really saw it on Tumblr. But the way that Ginger like transitions in that week is like my whole adolescence, like right before my eyes. There was like that 90s renaissance a little bit, the early 2000s, 90s renaissance that happened at our teenagehood. So it like maybe felt familiar in that way. I just feel so much for her because it makes no fucking sense. Like, unless you've experienced it. I also watched these movies before I experienced puberty. I hated Ginger. I was like, she sucks really hard. She's really mean to her sister. She doesn't listen to anybody. She's always angry. I really didn't like Ginger. And then like post pubescent me is like, that girl is a prophet among us. She knows something we don't. No, I completely get what you're saying. So I didn't have a sister, but I did have a friend and we are like four years between us. But it was like when she started like hanging out with boys it was like such a weird experience because all of a sudden everyone's priorities shift right like now it becomes and I don't mean to say we all live around men but I'm just there's so much pressure to kind of do that when you are that age that it does become a kind of situation where you know all of a sudden your priorities shift like it might not be the bond between your sister it might not be the bond between your friends like maybe now it is kind of about like where you stand in a social setting and like what people are saying about you and like whether you get a boyfriend or a date like your priorities 
bodies like shift at that age and it does happen so dramatically and you're so right their sister dynamic is so on point I actually had a fun fact about that that um it took them this was from Carly Lawson on pophorror.com while searching for the perfect actresses for the roles of Ginger and Bridget it took producers six months coincidentally Catherine Isabel and Emily Perkins both auditioned on the same day and successfully landed both roles writer Karen Walton was actually the one who singled out their audition tapes stating that their performances were the exact way she envisioned the characters it was an excellent choice as Catherine and Emily worked so well together and they were very believable sisters I think undeniable chemistry with those two actors to the point where like even if they don't they don't visually look similar to me at all but like that doesn't even matter in like they're like it's like no 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 they are sisters I believe it 100% the other dynamic that we already touched on but that like mother-daughter dynamic we've sang her prizes this mother character but Liz DeGregorio for Goals magazine said in the one scene that perfectly shows the wide gulf between mother and daughter she interrupts Ginger in the bath and tells her you haven't got anything I haven't seen before Ginger who had just discovered a claw growing out of her foot tells her mother that's what you think I love that they're like mocking it, but it's also like, yeah, I've had that exact interaction with my mother actually of like, I've seen all your bits. There's nothing there I haven't seen before. And then that time you actually do think like, yeah, you haven't seen like it's changed since you saw it. Like, you know what I mean? We need to talk about the tail. Uh, yeah. A little wick when it's teeny and it like wiggles. It really fucking freaks me out. I think that's probably the worst part. I wouldn't mind the hair. I wouldn't mind like devouring people uncontrollably the way she discovers the tail too by like peeking under her panty like <laughs> that was such an interesting shot because it is it's a little phallic it's yeah, yeah tiny little... it's phallic like with her bum out her bum out it could have been like kind of male exploitative and gross but obviously it's like from the pov of bridget as someone like scared about her sister morphing into a werewolf i don't want to make too many leaps and bounds but there is something we've talked before maybe not on the podcast about you know how freud is like oh like a clitoral orgasm is the immature orgasm (laughs) i don't know why that's coming to my head now but honestly like it does haunt me. Just the the little tail. You've said it's phallic, but like obviously, I mean, listen. When we are but a clump of cells, the parts that become a penis or a clitoris are the same thing. And it kind of felt clit. Are you reading this as a clit reading? Yeah. When folks with clitorises get on testosterone, the clitoris gets like bigger. That's actually really interesting because I think that the body horror here, again, as relatable to like the general teen experience, like the puberty element of something and like, oh God, the fact that something is happening to my body that I can't control without even seeing any effects is like where the body horror and the anxiety there is kind of generated. Kind of going off of the transcoded readings that we went through on We're All Going to the World's Fair, it's relatable certainly to like people who menstruate but it's also I think there's something queer in that this existence as well of like god damn it like now I'm growing boobs like could be the same as like suddenly sprouting a tail being dragged into puberty kicking and screaming is like a very trans experience being alienated from your body I mean I can't really speak to that experience but I thought I could see how this film would like resonate with like trans viewers as well as just general queer viewers like even people who are not necessarily non-binary trans who just don't want to have boobs or hair or any of the like things that come with 
no longer a child body. That like body horror I thought was like a universally relatable thing for like anyone going through puberty, but I thought it specifically could be applied to queerness. So it's interesting that you're also viewing like that as like either phallic on one hand or like a clitoris on the other. Interesting. Really interesting. Whatever it is, it's in the way. It's obtrusive. It's so easy to like peg. The- oh my God, peg. I, didn't mean- <laughs> I didn't mean to. I now can't think of a synonym. I, I didn't mean to. Um- <laughs> you don't have to explain yourself. I wasn't reading it as a clitoris, but I actually think that people with vulvas experience a similar kind of relationship with their clitoris as like their sex organ as like people with a penis and it's that same monstrosity to discovering it as you go through puberty like it, it's coupled with guilt and shame and like what the fuck is this that like discomfort you can feel with your body changing and that tale it really encompasses it for me I just wonder like back then like what was the intent was it just that it was freaky looking it was uncanny and abject but I think it kind of seems like an apt metaphor also for like your genitals changing i was gonna say you did mention like that discovery of that where she's like in her underwear and i was thinking like to bh like let's be fair there was a male director even though there's a male and female writer and it does have a male gaze in this film as in like ginger is sexualized throughout it like i think so but then it's like first i just don't really care about that i feel like it's done to such a point where i like still super relate to her did we need to see a shot of her underwear because we two are sexy (laughs) no I wasn't where I was going with it, but you sure? I think I was just like, I didn't really care so much. I was like, I think, yeah, I mean, if we had to do a pro and con of this film, I guess that's technically a con, but I <laughs> was not really bothered by it. And again, I kind of give it a pass. But like, I would be, I would agree that you didn't necessarily need to see her like bum so many in so many shots of like where she's just walking around in her underwear like sometimes it's a bit like that but then I also just think I don't care I think this film does such a great job at like encapsulating like young women's experiences that I'm like sure you know and the werewolf has boobs when she transforms the werewolf has like (laughs) big mommy milkers like two I don't remember that it's like when she's dying you get a shot of like two very prominent tits and then the rest are just like flat normal like dog tits and I'm like why did you give her tits somebody had to create that creature with intent they're like don't forget the boobs make sure they're human boobs the male gaze you could talk about it like strictly as like the camera view it could also be like her dressing in her little slutty outfits walking around I don't think that's necessarily the male gaze because it's separate for me in that I think it's true to a character to be going through that change I know that discovering your sexuality doesn't like automatically mean oh now I need to wear short skirts but I think that in our culture looking at women who are secure in their sexuality in the media all like wearing nothing wearing no clothes so that's obviously how they would like express themselves I've never thought of that you would just give me a eureka moment because like what would it be to see somebody who's like obviously sexually confident not just like confident confident not just somebody who she'd respect for whatever sexually confident who is like dressed modestly i think that would be like how would you even display that in a, in a woman like a character it just makes sense in the film that she would go through that transformation of like suddenly wanting to like dress a little slutty i want to talk about sam the drug dealer's character I can't just praise the film. I think we have to go into some 
some of the nuances. And I think one of those is that he's supposed to be a protagonist. And yet I'm pretty sure when Tina says the following rant that I'm about to quote, she's talking about this guy, Sam. She says, he doesn't like you. He's a cherry hound. He's into virgins. If you are so fucking smart, you won't give him the satisfaction. Somebody just once shouldn't give that fucker the satisfaction. And I was like, that's terrible. But also like not an unrealistic depiction of like some guys are like really into like the power of like taking a girl's virginity. I think she's talking about Sam because she was the one who had a thing with Sam and then he ignored her the next day. And then it was the little sister Bridget who was like talking to Sam. And when she's saying this rant, Tina is addressing Bridget, not Ginger. So it's not implied that it's necessarily Jason. I think later on, Bridget kind of says like Tina came and yelled about came and over and yelled about Jason. But I was like, I understood it as she's yelling about Sam because that's who she was involved with. And there was a jealousy element. So that's one of the things in the film. I'm like, hmm. I don't like that they made Sam's character like that. I mean, it's realistic of guys, but like also then if he's like that, don't make him a protagonist. But then I guess he also dies, but still. I was uncomfy with however old Bridget is just hanging out, like going over to him for help anyway. Like, I guess I understand why she went to, yeah, why she went to him as opposed to her mom or parents or any other older person. Like he seemed to know what he was talking about. But even though he was helpful and, you know, did what he had to do, seemed to be looking out for them, and he stood nothing to gain from it. I still, in the back of my mind, was like, this dude's a a freak. This dude's a creepy pervert. It could be Sam, because Ginger says, like, whatever, if you get raped, don't come crying to me. So I think there is an acknowledgement that Sam is a, isn't, shouldn't be hanging around with her. So I think actually Tina is talking about Sam in that moment. Thank you for listening to The Monstrous Feminine. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, SoundCloud, and Spotify at The Monstrous Feminine Podcast and on Twitter at The Monfem Pod. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and follow us on TikTok at The Monstrous Feminine Pod for podcast clips and more fun. Brooms up, witches out. <laughs>